We've been getting to know Jesus in this series that we started a little while ago, and um, that's why that slide says getting to know Jesus on it, just in case you were wondering. But this series has been challenging, and I've already heard from some of you as you've wrestled with some of the things that we've talked about and you're reading about it. And I love that because it says that God is stirring our hearts to dig deeper into his word and to learn more about him. And so uh, anything that, that I say up here, you need to know that it's your responsibility to go and fact-check that stuff. It's your responsibility to go and dig into the Word for yourself uh, to, to prove these things and to, and to see how they settle with your hearts. And so the purpose of this whole series is basically for us to reconsider who Jesus is. And we have all of these marvelous connections that are woven throughout Scripture, uh, prophecies and different things that reveal more and more about who He is than maybe we get at face value you just reading through scripture. And so with each of these new understandings that we gain about Jesus, it's an opportunity for us to have a deeper personal connection with him. Cause that's the point. Knowledge is great. I mean, it's great to know stuff and there are universities and seminaries all around the world that are full of people that know lots of stuff about God. But the difference is this. We don't just want to know about him. We want to know him. We want it to be a relationship. You can have all kinds of facts about a person, but it's a whole different thing when you actually know the person and you can sit down and talk with them. And the same thing is true about Jesus. We want to know him, not just know about him. And so last week we learned about his name. And we learned about the power that is found in his name, that his name carries authority, that it carries weight. So when we pray things in his name, basically what we're saying is that we're asking for his authority. We're using his authority, his power, for those. it's our request for those things to come to pass. The same is true when we pray for somebody for healing, right? We're saying basically, God, under, or Jesus, under your authority, because you are a righteous one, under your authority, we ask for you to heal this person. It's in your name. And we also found this wonderful connection between all these prophecies in Scripture and the whole purpose that Jesus came for. And we learned that actually in his name. His name is Yeshua in Hebrew, which means the Lord will save. His very name, guys, means salvation. And I think that that's way more important than we may realize. That every time that we see the word salvation, that in Hebrew, that would have been Yeshua most of the time in Scripture, which is pretty amazing. And so we're learning that every time that we engage Scripture, we have this opportunity to consider how all of this stuff fits into the larger story of the Bible because it's all connected, every part of it. Uh, Nothing that we find in Scripture is useless. It's all there for a purpose. God wants to show us something. He wants to teach us something. He wants to reveal something about His nature. And so the big part of what I want to talk about today as we kind of move into that is that like, if we have this painting, and this painting is of Jesus, if that painting's not framed by his Jewish background, then the picture that we have is an incomplete picture. It's still a good picture, but it's an incomplete picture. And if you take that art metaphor maybe one step further, his Jewishness should color every bit of our understanding of who he is. Everything that's said here in Scripture is all said within that context, and that's important for us to remember. So the beauty of all this stuff is this, though. That means that there are layers that we have to peel. Okay, so like an onion, when you start peeling layers, you get deeper and deeper, and there are more layers to peel. And the same thing is true when we look at Scripture as we peel back these layers. 
we're kind of astounded every time. It's like, wow, I didn't know that. And then that leads you to another discovery. It's like, whoa, that blows my mind. And then you realize that the discovery that you just learned leads, like connects back to three layers that you just peeled. Like when you start digging, it's like those hidden gems that we talked about. If you knew there were gemstones in your backyard, you would be back there digging them up, right? Well, the same thing is true with us in Scripture. We need to love God's Word and dig through those layers because we will find something new to love about Him every time. So we spent a lot of time in December talking about uh, the events surrounding the birth of Jesus and His nativity. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time doing that today. I'm actually going to fast forward past that. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, the events that kind of take place immediately after that. And so here's what it is, starting with verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Yeshua, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice, according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So if you're like me, it's easy to read that and just kind of not really grasp what's going on here. I mean, we, we get maybe the facts, but for us, because we're sort of disconnected from this world and this life, it doesn't necessarily have a lot of meaning to us. It's like, okay, they did this, and then they did this. They had, Well, Jesus was circumcised. That's kind of a big deal. But then they went up to the temple, and they did some stuff, basically. And I get it. I mean, even talking about the word circumcision, I can see some of you people, I won't name who you are, but you're grimacing every time I say it. Just a little bit, right? It's kind of a weird thing to talk about. And every person has at least one friend in their life that they could describe as the TMI person, right? You know who I'm talking about. It's the person or the friend that overshares way too much. They give you updates on like what's happening in their bowels and um, maybe the weekly opened wound update or like just stuff that you don't need to know. It's just way too much information or like how their kidney stones are doing, right? It's like... Thanks. I mean, I get it. If you want me to pray for you, I understand that. But, but the TMI person, isn't. that's not what they're after. They, they, they're, it's like they just put it all out there. It's just who they are, right? And so when we talk about something like circumcision, the nature of the subject kind of wants us, we, we want to keep our distance from that just a little bit. It's like, yeah, let's not delve too much into that. When we start to get into this nitty-gritty stuff of life in Scripture... We are sometimes forced to confront subjects maybe that we don't want to talk a lot about. And again, everything is in there for a reason. And there, there may be things that we don't like to consider. But Luke is telling us something. He, he wants us to know that something's happening here and it's something that's important. And so we don't actually have a lot of information about the early years of Jesus. Right? There's, you know, we kind of have, he's born, and then we have this little glimpse of what happens when he's dedicated and circumcised. And then we have a later glimpse that we'll talk about next week uh, where he is a teenager in the temple. And then it kind of zooms forward into his ministry. But we do know that he was an infinite infant at one point. He was an infinite infant. I just made that up. Anyway, he was an infant at one point. And so, therefore, we know that he did all of those cute and stinky infant things, right? Right, he was a baby. At some point, he was a baby, right? And we read these accounts, but we don't really put, like, real life on this. And so I want to do that. Like, he cried sometimes, I'm sure. I'm sure there were times that he was upset about stuff as an infant. I'm sure there were times that he loaded his diaper and Mary was thinking, this kid, right? 
It happened. That might be a rude awakening for you today, maybe. What? Not my Lord. He would never do that. Right? Guys, he was fully human and fully divine. He did those things. I mean, no disrespect to say that baby Jesus made boom-booms just like every other infant on the planet, right? Every infant does, does that. That's just what happens. That's how we're designed to work, speaking of TMI. So anyway, you know, we had uh, Matt and Megan up here, and it's kind of funny because there's this rule in filmmaking, and it's this. Never work with children or animals. And this, this sentence is actually attributed to W.C. Fields, but no one really knows who said it for sure. But the logic goes as this. Like, children and animals are unpredictable. And sometimes they're the same. Children are animals, you know what I'm saying? But they're unpredictable. You don't know what they're going to do. And no matter what they do, it's going to steal every scene from you. So the adult actors will say, you don't want to work with them because you're going to lose either way. It's going to go bad. But the truth is, kids are as real as it gets, Right? They, uh, they can't be bothered by social pretense of any kind necessarily. It's like the parent, we really want them to do this thing, but odds are when we get up in front of people, they're not going to do this thing. It's probably not going to happen that way. And so, Megan, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to tell a story that you're involved in. You, you know where this is going already, but I figure it's on Facebook. It's fair game. So, so <laughs> I was in hy V a a few weeks ago. And uh, it was packed. Like, there were people everywhere. It was just a madhouse. It was insane. And uh, there were like four or five people deep on all of the checkout lines all the way through. And I think it was right around, it might have been Super Bowl Sunday, perhaps. I don't remember. But uh, So we're all in there, and, and I'm waiting patiently in line. And uh, the teenage checker is struggling to scan items in front of me, and it just is what it is. But every now and then, like, I mean, it's like humming. I mean, there's just a lot of noise everywhere. You know, it's a grocery store with lots of people packed in it. And so every now and then, there's a sound that breaks the silence. And it's, ah! I mean, you just keep hearing this noise, like, and everyone heard it. Like, it was everywhere. And so, like, you're like, okay, that was interesting. And so I'm just in line, all of a sudden, ah! like what the heck is that and i noticed that all of the heads in my line are looking to the next line over and actually all of the people in the surrounding area are looking to the next line over so i finally get up past you know all the gum and stuff where i can see and i see megan standing in line right there and every time ah! happens she goes her eyes cross and she and she like points to her temple because Apparently, where she was, this was a deafening sound. So I'm like, I look, and it turns out the sound is coming from her cart. It was Everett. Seriously. And, you know, you think that noise I'm making is loud. It does not hold a candle to the noise of this child. And so it took Megan a while to recover to finally look up and see me. And then she just kind of sort of had this look. I was like, listen, I want you to know you are a champion mom right now, okay? Which is true, right? And so then I said, besides, it's really hard to raise a baby pterodactyl these days. <laughs> and so the girl that was actually, some of the people started to giggle. The girl that was actually checking her out, like it was a teenage girl. And she, you could tell she was struggling because she didn't know if she was supposed to laugh or not. <laughs> so then we exchanged a few more words and I turned around to this, this high school boy that was checking my stuff out. He's like, can I ask you a question? I was like, yeah. He's like, do you know those people? It's like, yeah. Yeah, I know them. 
And he's like, oh, that's good, dude, because I was going to say it would take some serious cojones to, like, you just called her kid a pterodactyl, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I did. But that's what, like, real life with kids is like. I mean, just talk to the Jeffreys sometime or talk to the Rainies. Families that have lots of kids, there's a, there's a pterodactyl in every one of those groups, I promise. They're there waiting to screech at you. I don't think it was any different back then. We don't know. It could be that Jesus drove Mary crazy with pterodactyl sounds. I mean, if you think about it, because of his experience in creation, he's probably really the only person that knew what they actually sounded like. So he was like spot on when he did it. So we don't, we don't have a lot, right, to go on in Scripture. But this passage here in Luke actually teaches us a lot if we're willing to dig in and we will learn about Jesus and his parents and the world that they were raised in. And so here it is, verse 21 again. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, Yeshua, of course, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The covenant of circumcision that we're talking about here was commanded by the Lord to Abraham. And that happened in Genesis 17. And very quickly it just says, And God said to Abraham, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. And ever since then, the Jewish people have observed this ritual. And they believe that this ritual is, because of the way that this is constructed in Scripture, it's the fundamental sign of their covenant with God. They believe that when they do this, it's a pact, it's a covenant. The covenant of circumcision is known as the Brit Malah, or it's also called a bris. A Brit meaning pact, and the Malah meaning circumcision in Hebrew. Again, for Jewish people, this is way more than a medical procedure because that's kind of what it's become in our modern world. To them, this circumcision was a sign of a child's entry into a covenant relationship with the Lord. In some ways, similar to what just happened. It was a dedication of sorts. And so, since most of you may not have experience with this, I'd like to show you a short video of the procedure so that you could understand what it's like. I saw your faces. Some of you thought I was really going there. No, I'm totally kidding. But it does have something in common with that. That it's this point where this kid, this child, officially enters into the life of Judaism. Uh, and it defines a covenant relationship. Covenant's not a word that we use a lot these days. But it's, it's legal. It's a binding contract. It's, it's way more than just a shake of hands or some kind of agreement. It's like, I am in. I am completely dedicated to what this is about. And so, uh, in the Torah, it says that in this moment, that's when the Lord changed Abraham's name, right? He changed it from Abram to Abraham. At this time of his circumcision. And so in the same way, by tradition, the Jewish boy actually is given his name in this moment when it happens. So he has this seven or so days where he's nameless, kind of. Until this eighth day when this happens, and that's when he's given the name by tradition. So here's why this matters to us. Our Messiah, Yeshua, that we follow is a descendant of not only Abraham, but also from David. And we've established over the past few weeks that he fulfilled covenants unique to both of these things, even in his lineage, things that he could not control, right? He had no control over this. And he had no control over this situation either. This was all on his parents. But here's the thing. Yeshua also had to keep the Torah perfectly. 
to be the one true righteous one. And that includes every covenant, including circumcision. So his parents, again, had a responsibility in this. I think that's kind of a hidden lesson for us here, parents. Last week, we baptized three people, and it was amazing. It's one of, again, I mean, back-to-back, like two of my favorite things in, in, in weeks here. But a baptism, I want to compare these two things. A baptism is representative of the passage of the old life into the life to come, right? And so in Judaism... Once that happens, once people are dipped into a mikvah or, or they immerse themselves uh, into Judaism, it's called being born again. Sound familiar? Right. That's where that came from. And so that's what baptism is about. So in a sense, the only difference between that and circumcision for us is that in circumcision, the parents are committing to this walk of faith. They're dedicating a child. Right? Again, our dedications are inspired by that idea as well. But with a baptism, it's actually the baby that's making the commitment, right? Of course, the baby may be older at that time, but it's essentially the circumcision of the heart. And we've heard that term before, right? Paul talks about it uh, in Romans. But the place where that actually comes from is Deuteronomy 30, where God commands, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul that you may live. It's a change of heart that God wants to see in us as believers, as all believers, So that may all be kind of confusing, but it's two things that are sort of accomplishing the same thing, but in different ways. There's a dedication on the part of the parents into a new life, and then there's a dedication on the part of the person into a new life. So in the biblical narrative, when we read this stuff, like when I read that first passage to you with everything, it's like all of this kind of runs together, but there's some time between these events. And we don't see that. I mean, we kind of read it like a TV story where they cut out all of the parts where people travel so they can fit it within 22 minutes or less, counting commercials. So we read it that way. But in truth, there were days in between these events. And I think it's important for us to know why they're there. Uh, Each of these instances where Mary and Joseph are being obedient is super important. And God's using them to fulfill his will in the life of Messiah. So here's the timeline very quickly. The first day, Yeshua is born. Day eight, he's circumcised according to law. Mary continues in her purifying for another 33 days. I'll talk about that in just a minute. And then we come to day 40. Now, this is also way symbolic when it comes to Yeshua's identity. They're fulfilling a commandment, but it's also symbolic for us. And I know this is really teachy, but bear with me here because it's important. What's happening here on day 40 is known as Epidion Haben. It's redemption of the firstborn son. Again, some similarities to a baby dedication. It's basically a commandment in Judaism uh, where the firstborn son is redeemed. And it's like, well, why would they have to do that? What's this about? It actually comes from Exodus 13. Originally, all of the Jewish firstborn sons were set apart. They were supposed to be the priests. They were supposed to be the ones, uh, the the people that led God's people in worship and did all of those things. They were going to be the sanctified priestly class. And uh, so they would be inducted into the Lord's service from the very beginning of their lives. And this all happened in that scene in Exodus where God spares their lives from Pharaoh when he calls them out and he sets them free as a people. That's when it was established. But something went down and it was bad. Remember, Moses goes up on Sinai to talk with God and to, to get the law. And while he's up there, the people are freaking out. They don't know what happened to Moses. Is he going to come back? We don't know. Well, hey, let's make a golden cow and worship it. I'm not sure how we get from here to there, but that's what happened. And so as a result, everybody worshiped this calf, the firstborn included. And so the firstborn in that moment forfeited their status. But here's what's interesting. It's like, well, how do we have a priesthood then? 
Well, there was one tribe that did not participate in the golden calf worship, and that was they were the children of Aaron. And so, therefore, it was in that moment that they became the ones that would take up the mantle of the priesthood. These are important things for us to know, guys, because everything that we're about is founded on this. And so, ever since that moment, all of the male Israelite firstborn must redeem themselves in what's called a Pidon Yaben ceremony. And it's actually officiated by a descendant of Aaron, which would be a Kohen or a priest. And so, one other detail, the Torah sets the price at five shekelim, that's in numbers, which is approximately 100 grams of silver. And if you go online and research this, this is something that still happens today. It's still a big part of uh, a Jewish rite of passage, basically. If you have a firstborn son, this is what you do. And so there's all kinds of really cool and decorative coins for this purpose. But this event is all about celebration. Like, this is a joyous thing. We have a firstborn son. Like, they carry the kid into the room on, like, a silver platter, which is kind of weird in a way, but kind of cool in a way, too. You know, it's like kind of symbolic maybe of that sacrifice that could have taken place. So here's what it looks like. They carry the kid in. And the father who presents the firstborn to the Kohen or the priest, the priest says, okay, would you rather give the son away or redeem him? And so I suppose there's a moment here where if you wanted to give this child to the service of the Lord, much like Hannah did, you could do that. But most of the time, the father chooses not to uh, do that. And so the father chooses to redeem the boy. He gives the silver to the priest and he says this, blessed Thou art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us concerning the redemption of the firstborn son. So then the money is handed over to the Kohen, who passes it over the boy's head, again saying, this in place of this. And then he says the priestly blessing over the child. And the ceremony ends with the blessing over a cup of wine, and the child is officially redeemed. By fulfilling this Torah duty, we see that Mary and Joseph in our story... We're devout in their faith. That's important, guys. The fact that every letter was followed, everything that had to be done and needed to be done, as far as commandments were concerned, that even Yeshua's parents followed it to the letter. I think that's why uh, the gospel writers uh, stress these points about them being devout in their worship. And so we even see later in Scripture that they're constantly going back and forth. They're observing the festivals. They're observing the commandments. All of this was super important. They were devout in their faith. And actually, this becomes even more clear as we move forward. But they took their responsibilities as parents seriously. And I think, again, another lesson for us. So the child is circumcised on the eighth day according to the Torah, Exodus 13. He's given the name Yeshua at that time in obedience to the instruction that Mary and Joseph separately received from the angel that appeared to them. Again, all of this in, in accordance with their faith. Now, I want to remind you of something that we said last week. When a parent gives a child a name, a parent is giving the child a connection to previous generations. And the parent's also making a statement about their hope for who that child will be. And I love that Matt gave us the meanings of his son's names because that's important. He has hopes for those boys, right, that they're going uh, to grow up They've already, they're already filling out those names quite nicely. But he has a hope that when they're men, that they're known by the character of those names. And the same thing is true with Yeshua, right? Salvation. 
So as we discussed last week, the Lord will save our salvation is what it's all about for us. And so we move forward here, Luke 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought Yeshua up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So that's what's happening. That's what we just talked about. And then it follows with this in verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or young pigeons. Again, also pointing to the devotion that Mary had and Joseph had to God and his Torah. We see two parents doing everything that they can possibly do to raise Yeshua in a righteous manner. So if we check out the timeline, we'll see what that last part there is all about, what it means. So day eight, Mary continued in her purifying for another 33 days, and then she brings an offering to end her purification. Leviticus 12 states that a woman is considered ritually unclean after childbirth, uh, which requires a period of waiting and then an atonement sacrifice. And again, these things are weird for us. They're unfamiliar. We don't understand them. But it's important for us to understand these requirements because they fulfilled them. And so she waited for another 33 days, and then she brought the offering or the sacrifice uh, that she needed to for that. And I think there's another point that we learn here, that the fact that it was a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons tells us that they were not wealthy. They didn't have a lot of money. Otherwise, they would have brought a lamb forward, but lambs were expensive. And so this is all they had, and there was still a provision uh, that they could offer a sacrifice that they could afford. And so that's pretty amazing to me. But uh, again, they're dedicated in their faith, they're righteous, and they're following all these things to the letter. So I want to wrap this up with what happens next. And it's this encounter. Actually, it's two encounters that happen at the temple right after this. And there's actually three things that we learn from it, which I'll point out at the end, but I want to read this to you first. These encounters are pretty amazing. So stick with me. Oh, yeah, and then we, we present Yeshua. So here we go. Luke 2, verse 25 is where we'll start. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Basically, he was waiting for Messiah to come is what that means. He was waiting for someone to come and make it right. Okay? Waiting for consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's important. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ or the Messiah, right? And he came in the Spirit into the temple. In other words, the Spirit drew him or led him into the temple in that moment. And when the parents brought in the child Yeshua to do to him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your Yeshua. He would have been speaking in Hebrew, guys. For now my eyes have seen your Yeshua, your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation in the, for, to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Luke continues in verse 36 to tell us about another person in the story. Her name is Anna. She was a prophetess, and she came from a devout family. It makes real clear that that's the case. She married young, and when her husband died after being married seven years, she chose not to remarry so that she could serve the Lord with her life. 
So she spent all of her time from sunup to sundown in the temple, worshiping and fasting and praying. So she also happens to enter the temple at this time. Of course, it's not a coincidence. She's led there by the Spirit, just like Simeon was. And she encounters Mary, Joseph, and Yeshua. And she immediately begins to announce the arrival of redemption to all who would listen. So again, there are three things that these encounters share that are important for us to understand as Luke tells us the story. The first thing is this, that the folks that are involved in the story, but especially these two, are devout and that they're reliable. They're credible. Both are respected elders in their community. Simeon had been waiting a long time to see a Messiah as God had promised him, and he immediately recognizes him by the Spirit in Yeshua. Anna was probably between 103 and 105 years old, which is pretty cool. She was considered a wise matriarch of Israel. And scripture tells us that they were both not only devoted to the Lord, but empowered by his spirit. So the first thing is that they're devout and that they're reliable. The second thing that this encounter tells us is that it's a confirmation. Uh, according to Jewish law, but also in scripture, and let's see where that's at. That's in Deuteronomy 19.17. There's this whole idea about truth and testimony. So if you brought somebody before a judge, you had to have two or more witnesses that could attest to uh, either their credibility or if it was a problem with this person, two or more witnesses uh, that would stand against them. That would basically be willing to stand up in front of all of their neighbors and their friends to point to this person and say they're credible or to point to this person and say that they're not. And so when we hear stories about uh, judgment and death penalty and those kinds of things, and we wrestle with that, you have to realize that in Scripture, when that was applicable, when that was available, what that looked like is that you would have those witnesses that not only had to stand up and say, this person deserves death, but those witnesses would also have to carry out that sentence, which is a whole other level, right? So within the Jewish world... Truth and testimony was a big deal. That's why you see Matthew and Luke and all of these guys telling us these details that may be lost on us, but they're a big deal here. So this would have been a powerful reminder to all of the Jewish people listening. It's like, we've got these two heavyweights of our faith that are right here, and the Spirit led them to recognize the Messiah in this child. That's a big deal. So the first thing, they're devout, they're reliable. The second thing, that that, uh, they confirmed the truth of this. And then the third one is that they were prophetic. So they not only confirm that Yeshua is the Messiah, having fulfilled the requirements, but the Spirit leads Anna to recognize him. And not only that, she immediately begins telling everyone, right? Because that's what 103-year-old Nanas do, right? You should see him! He's beautiful, the Savior, the Messiah's here. It's not hard to imagine, is it? Something that she waited her whole life for. And Simeon is led into the temple, and he too gets caught up in everything. He's actually the one that Mary and Joseph come to for the redemption of the firstborn. He's overcome with emotion. He realizes that God's promise to him is coming true in this moment. Just put yourself in his shoes for just a second, okay? And maybe not even about this, but like think about something that you've longed for all your life that's yet to happen. Whatever that is. And imagine this moment where somebody walks up to you 
And they instantly fulfill that. What would, like, you would go nuts. Like, whether that's a lottery check or a child or whatever that is. You wouldn't be able to contain yourself. And that's the same thing that happens in this moment. Simeon realizes, he's like, listen, I'm ready to die happy now because I have seen him. Just as God promised. And here's how he says it in his blessing. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your Yeshua, your salvation, that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And what we see in the scripture is that both Joseph and Mary are a little surprised by this whole thing. Which you would be too. Put yourself in their shoes for just a second. Someone picks up your infant child and they're like, this child is going to be great. Just look at him, right? They pronounce all of these blessings of greatness and predict the future, maybe in some really somewhat strange esoteric words. And you're trying to figure out what it all means. And they say, this kid's going to be president, I promise you, or whatever, right? You'd be like, what? But then Simeon blesses them. And he wraps up that blessing with kind of a strange statement. Maybe you caught it earlier. He blessed them and said to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. So (laughs) imagine as a mom hearing this. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts would be revealed. What is that all about? Well, some of it, I think, because we know how the story ends, it's pretty obvious to us. And I'm almost done. Many in Israel would fall because they had rejected him as Messiah. We, we, we know this. But he continues to say that many would rise again in the glory of the Lord that Israel once had because they had accepted him. And in this moment of great celebration, because the Lord's redemption is not just for one people now, but it's for all people now. And he will be a revelation to all people. But Simeon's prophecy here is a bit of a mixed blessing because there's also a great sadness. Uh, The first thing he says is that this would be a dividing point in history, a dividing point in mankind. And then he continues to say that sorrow would come to Mary when the redemption of the world was fulfilled by her son. And of course, she had no way necessarily to know what all of that meant. But you can imagine those words coming back to her. She stared at her son hanging there on a stake, redeeming the world. It's amazing to think that the redemption of all mankind also had to be redeemed, isn't it? This for this. Jesus would pay the price to buy us back. Even though some would choose not to accept this generous offer. Jesus was ready for our redemption. And today he continues to call us. And maybe you're in this room today and you're in there. You're like, yeah, man, I'm redeemed. This is great. I love it. This is a great reminder of 
even just one part of what he had to do. But maybe you're here today and that's not you. Like, I don't even know what that looks like or what that is to be redeemed. And then the short answer is that no matter how good you are, no matter what you do, no matter how good of a person you are, Scripture tells us that we've all sinned from the very beginning. And we're born into that. But God being the good and loving God that he is, made a way for us. So we have this moment in history where the intimate relationship that we have with him was broken. And it was a rift that we could not fix. But Yeshua, Jesus, the one that was ready for redemption, he's the one that fixed that rift by giving himself up willingly for us. And even then, he was surrounded by people that didn't understand it, what was happening. And even now, it's kind of hard to understand. But we know that because he was uniquely righteous, more than anyone who ever walked this planet, he kept every letter of the Torah, he was righteous. And so it's by the power in his name, salvation, right? That, that rift is not only healed, but we're invited to cross that rift to the Father. That's what he wants. He wants us. This for this. Would you bow your hearts with me? God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for all of the detail that you inspired the men and women who wrote it to share with us. And God, our goal in reading your word and studying more about you, I mean, we we just want to know you. We want to know you more, know you better. We want our hearts to be your hearts. We want to be aligned with what you are doing on this planet. Father, we thank you for your son, for Yeshua, for salvation. That you sent him as our rescue. That you sent him to be the righteous one. And God, I just pray that uh, if there are folks that are here today that don't have that intimate relationship with you, or maybe have had that relationship with you at one time, but feel distant from you for one reason or another. I just I ask today that right now, God, in each of their hearts, that you would make your presence known, that you would make it real. For those that don't know you, God, I pray that they would, that they would confess the things that they've done in rebellion against you and they would turn towards you. I pray that we would all do that, God. Break our hearts for the things that break your heart. I pray that we would be people that press into the things that you called us to do in the same way that we see Mary and Joseph and others pressing in dedicating themselves in their lives to glorify you. So God, for every life that's in this room, whether 
they were dedicated by their parents at one time to you or not, I pray today would be their dedication day. That each of us would rededicate our hearts to you. We ask all these things in your name.